it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I am on the road. I'm in beautiful Dallas, Texas. But the show will not stop. Uh, we'll continue to be headquartered at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world, and uh, hopefully in the Ukraine. Uh, big hour coming your way. As I get my paperwork done, everyone's done such a uh, wonderful job helping me out here. We're going to be joined by Rich Lowry. Um, Rich Lowry today. And we're also going to be joined... Uh, we're also going to be joined by a very special guest who might know more about Central and South America than anybody else. Writes for the Wall Street Journal, uh, Mary Anastasio O'Grady. That'll be next hour. But Rich Lowry coming up at the bottom of the hour. He actually wrote a column that I don't think Donald Trump's going to be happy about. Is Donald Trump getting boring? I don't think so, especially tomorrow you're going to hear all about Donald Trump. So the other networks will be in their glory because it's about January 6th, which we'll cover on Fox Business. Meanwhile, for things like the primaries and so much more, let's get to the Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Senator, we're seeing high inflation in almost all developed countries around the world. With respect to energy, the uh, administration has done everything that they can to bring down energy costs. Really? Explain yourself. That's what President Biden's team has been asked to do when it comes to inflation, gas prices, as they continue to soar. And 11 million jobs are still remaining open. Their unacceptable, elusive, delusional economic tap dancing leaves me both angry and worried. Number two. It's just so funny to think that in San Francisco, there's this vast (laughs) right-wing conspiracy happening when we really haven't had that type of influence there. California's Democrats in San Francisco have even said these regressive and soft-on-crime policies have been hurting us. That is Jessica Milan Patterson, who runs the RNC, uh, the Republican Party out in California. Hope. That's what I feel after the successful recall of the embarrassingly bad San Francisco DA, Chesa Bodine. The man who helped make smash and grab become a nationwide trend was ousted from his term Tuesday because he flat out refused to prosecute criminals. Next up, Gascon of Los Angeles and Alvin Bragg. Pay attention. You could be after that in the New York City. Number one. You know what? Every one of these parents wanted what they asked us for. That they want their children's dreams to continue to accomplish something after they are gone. They want to make their loss of life matter. That is Matthew McConaughey. Hollywood shoot shoot his way into... Matthew McConaughey uh, shot his way into Washington. Uh, Of course, he hopped behind the podium. Nobody was expecting it. He came to the Capitol to talk about gun control, safe schools, and political middle ground. Does the Greenlight author have a personal stake in this? Yes. Uvalde is his hometown. His mom taught down the street. But did he move the ball? We'll discuss it. In fact, we'll do it right now. Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, which talked about him, his career, came off very, uh, a lot of humility, uh, honest about his success, and made you think uh, that he's so authentic that he one day could run for office. In fact, evidently, he did think about running uh, for governor in Texas. 
And yesterday you saw him behind the podium. Number one, it's good to see someone talented there, somebody who's very comfortable in his own skin, somebody who understood the issues, even though I think he did the easy part. Talking about we need to secure our schools. I thought he did a good job straddling the line on both sides because he knows there's hot button issues there. Also talking about the fact that he's been shooting guns virtually his whole life, his whole life and didn't plan to stop. Then afterwards he sat down with uh, Brett Bear. So I want to hear what you have to say about what Matt, Matthew McConaughey said. And you probably have heard some of this already, so I'll play some of it now. But for those of you who want to get on board next, one 408 7669 So... We know two 18-year-old shooters in a matter of 10 days. One shoots up a, um, uh, shoots up a mall over in Buffalo. One shoots up an elementary school horrifically in Uvalde, Texas. Matthew McConaughey, cut three. We know it's on the table. We need to invest in mental health care. We need safer schools. We need to restrain sensationalized media coverage. We need to restore our family values. We need to restore our American values, and we need responsible gun ownership. Responsible gun ownership. And that's why I've said all along, the NRA should be leading the charge in outrage, and so should gun owners, because they are using responsible gun ownership. They know about cleaning the gun. They've been briefing their kids on how to lock up a gun. They always talk about how to hand off a gun. All the safety precautions that responsible gun owners go through, they find that challenge because all these uh, deranged kids, uh, racists like the subway shooter, uh, like the buffalo shooter, who decide to take a gun kill people with it, and then people want to blame the gun. So the people that should be the most angry, uh, I believe, are gun supporters in the big picture. For the ones who don't shoot guns, the ones who don't live amongst guns, they just think it's easy, let's get rid of it. Most people, when this happens, go out and get more guns because they're afraid someone's going to take them away. John Cornyn uh, was speaking yesterday, says, I want to be clear, we're not talking about restricting the rights of current law-abiding gun owners or citizens. What I'm interested in is keeping guns out of the hands of those who, by current law, are not supposed to have them. People with mental health problems, people who are career criminals. Senator Josh Hawley, a very conservative, young upstart, said uh, out of Missouri, I got a lot of earfuls from constituents who say, no, I, want, I don't want, criminal, I want criminals to be punished. I want these shooters to be stopped, but don't come for my Second Amendment rights. That's the worry. That's why Matthew McConaughey says there's a middle ground. I've been saying that, too. I do not believe the country's coming apart. I do believe more people agree than disagree on the major issues of the day. And Matthew Matthew McConaughey, now he hasn't got into the nitty-gritty. He's not in these Senate meetings. He's not debating in town halls. But I think what he says is worth listening to. Cut five. We've got to take a sober, humble, and honest look in the mirror and rebrand ourselves based on what we truly value. What we truly value. We've got to get some real courage and honor our immortal obligations instead of our party affiliations. Enough with the counterpunching. Enough with the invalidation of the other side. It's come to the common table that represents the American people. Find a middle ground, the place where most of us Americans live anyway, especially on this issue. Because I promise you, uh, America, you and me, we are not as divided as we are being told we are. See, number one, if people come up to you and say, I don't want a background check, I think they're being irrational. 
Uh, number two, if people say they don't want secure schools and won't uh, put more money into securing schools, I think they're being irrational and illogical. That's what the president said. Background checks are in place. You want to enhance these background checks? Sure. I mean, what is, what is wrong with waiting a couple of days to get a gun? AR-15s and 15, 18 to 21-year-old, I think it's the same debate. Solid arguments on both sides. The same way there were solid arguments on both sides when it came to uh, 18 to 21 when it came to drinking. I thought a very good explanation that Matthew McConaughey gave last night to Brett. And they say, you know, at 18 years old, you could sign up for the military and learn to carry a gun. He said, that's a key. He said, when you get an AR-15, you got weeks of training before they actually give you the AR-15. So, number one, should we be... Uh, able to background check these people and give them training so they were able to use it responsibly. And when you have a guy walk up in all black whose eyes look like his, uh, they're rolling in the back of his head, who they look at a background check and maybe tech with the local schools in Uvalde, which would have been possible, and we would have found out this Ramos character was a danger to everyone he came in contact with. There could be some middle ground there. Dana Perino, on what she saw and listened to yesterday, cut nine. Sometimes you need a different messenger. And because everybody, all the things that are going to be said on this have been said. People are tuning out the president, uh, even the press secretary, right? So she, <laughs> well, she, it is. Like, she gets, she, she couldn't deliver a message like that. But when the, you mentioned how genuine he is, and so that yeah. authenticity comes through. And he also, he's talking about his hometown. So that was uh, Dana last night on the five. So the only thing I would say is for those people who say he's just a famous actor, what does he know? Number two, number one, read his book. Extremely bright guy. Number two, no one gave him anything. He had no ends. Number three, continues to be relevant and humble, even though he obviously is born extremely talented. He's got a lot going for him. He's rich. He's famous. And he does a lot of benevolent acts on a regular basis. A few times I've met him, the three times I've interviewed him, I've been extremely impressed. And you don't have a book on the bestseller list about your own life, which called Green Lights, if it is not something that the average American wants. So he may be living in Los Angeles right now or making his living in Los Angeles, be knee deep in the Hollywood community. But uh, for the most part, he, you cannot label him a typical Hollywood guy. But as I thought Gutfeld said well last night, the easy part's done. The easy part is what he did yesterday. The hard part is actually getting something that works that actually jives with the Second Amendment. More, I want to give you the best news yesterday. Chesa Bodine, this uh, poor excuse for a, um, for a prosecuting attorney, for a DA, has been recalled. So he is out. Three years ago, he ran on a platform of decarceration. San Francisco yesterday recalled him with enough signatures, and when put to a vote, should he be fired? 61% said yes, compared to 39%. This is a uh, – San Francisco is emblematic of a liberal city. For them to look around and say this liberal, left-wing prosecutor needs to be fired is significant. This is the beginning of a wave throughout our country. The pushback against the defund the police, defame the police, uh, let's stop arming the police, let's villainize, uh, vilify these police, it's all going to stop. Gascon most certainly will be next in Los Angeles. And if you saw what happened in the mayoral race, you see that there's a big message being sent. And the message is being sent is fundamentally, 
It should not be a political issue that you want safe streets. So Los Angeles billionaire Rick Caruso spends $41 million of his own money and now is a runoff with Karen Bass, a left-wing liberal who is a finalist to be Joe Biden's running mate. It thought was to be a shoe-in to become the next mayor of Los Angeles. Crime is so bad, homeless so out of control, Rick Caruso stopped being a Republican, became a moderate Democrat, ran, got a lot of support from the Kardashians on down, and actually won with more votes, but there's enough to qualify for a runoff. So he did extremely well, 30% of the vote. He did 30% better among black men and women, and he is a white billionaire. You know why? Because crime comes without color. Assaults are up 11% in, um, uh, well, this is San Francisco. But in Los Angeles, the crime stats are through the roof. In San Francisco, just over the, in 2022, well, 2021 hit all-time records. Assaults are up 11%. Homicides up 11%. Uh, rapes are up 10%. And in San Francisco, they're now going to make a change to start prosecuting criminals. Can you imagine? London Breed, and I don't know anything about her except for what she said in the past. She is now talking about law and order. She is the mayor of San Francisco. Talked about the need for law and order in the streets. These are things that I thought was going to take years to fix. You watch. Uh, The November elections will be about law and order as the number one or number two issue. And if you look at the parties, there's nobody looks at Democrats and says, that's the party of law and order. They're sitting there in liberal cities and saying, we have to still stay in the same party, but we have to change our actions and our rhetoric. And nobody is going to fool the men and women in blue and think, I forgot what party actually had our back over the last three years. You know exactly who had your back. It was Republicans, and in networks, it's Fox. Uh, Not to get out of tickets, because it's the right thing to do. Because without law and order, you do not have a society. So that is great news. So I want to hear from you. If you're like me, do you believe this is going to ripple through Los Angeles and New York City and in Philadelphia? This is a shot to the solar plexus to George Soros, who financed these lunatics to rip apart our society and not enforce the law. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, don't move. one 408 So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I mean, even in San Francisco, a very liberal place, they even sent a strong message. They want law and order. In my District 28, certainly, they did not believe my opponent's position on defund the police. They did not support her position on getting rid of ICE or Border Patrol. And they certainly didn't agree on open borders. And that was a strong message. If you look at the votes uh, along the counties on the southern border, Uh, I won by 80-plus percent of the vote because people understood that law and order, law and order is key to any uh, function that government provides. I'm telling you, if Henry Cuellar represented the Democratic Party, this country would be in great shape. 
And so would Harold Ford if he represented the Democratic Party because, yeah, they're to the left, center left, center left. They are Democrats and they're proud to be it. But they're rational. They're for law and order and they see a train wreck about to hit their party. This guy, uh, Chesa Bodine, gets recalled. Some of the reasons why burglars are up 45 percent since he took office in 2020. Forty five percent. Court records obtained by the San Francisco Standard show that Bodine's office convicted just three people for the charge of possession to intent to sell in 2021 for meth, heroin, and cocaine. His predecessor secured more than 90 drug-dealing convictions in 2018. In San Francisco, more people died last year from fentanyl overdoses than COVID-19, and he didn't convict a single person for dealing the opioid. This explains why most of the liberal cities in America voted overwhelmingly on Tuesday to recall the most liberal city in America voted to recall Bodine. Uh, so this guy is an absolute mess. Bodine attacked Mayor London Breed a few weeks ago when she deployed she deployed more officers to crack down on drugs in the city's uh, tenderloin district. So she he was going after a liberal mayor, London Breed. So good luck with that. Democrats sober up, uh, and if you don't, Republicans will have even a bigger day in November. But I'm scared for the country if you don't. William, listen on WTRC in South Bend. William, always enjoy getting your call. Uh, Are you as encouraged as I am with this recall? Very much so. You know, the one thing that that it did that we did uh, miss was they started with Gavin Newsom, and unfortunately, that didn't come about. Um, but this is absolutely very, very happy with the recall. Um, I think that does set a, a new precedent. I think that that uh, it will be something that's going to go across the country. I'm concerned about what's going on up in Washington still, though, with all the disarray there, if, uh, if in fact, that's going to settle down. I mean, they had their own little city, I believe, did they not? Um, and then, again, when, when you look at um, what's taking place with with everybody, um, Matthew McConaughey, right down the middle, I think yep. it was great. There's a lot of good stuff there. I hope that it comes to fruition and, and people do exactly the same thing. Look at the things that really, really matter when you talk about mental health care. Um, again, yeah. And securing you, the schools. You're right. You're right when you said that the, the, the uh, gun owners should be out in rage because this is a bad light on them. I mean, people Absolutely. that are responsible that know how to use guns. So. Yeah, I mean, the gun owners that are responsible go go into detail about the safety precautions, how to clean it, how to lock it up, things you do, how you travel with it. Gun owners that are responsible, that is almost a hobby, how you maintain that firearm. And these guys not only maintaining it, they're using it for evil intentions. And no responsible gun owner I know does anything want to protect their family or go hunting or shooting, shooting in a range, not at people. Listen, I see your calls. I'll get to you in 10 minutes. But coming up next, Rich Lowry's got a great perspective on what's happening in this country. From the National Review, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Chase Boudin's he's a smart guy. I had a chance to interview him at a forum here in the city. He stuck by his guns. He believes that he was bringing together a new kind of approach to criminal law. But instead, we got 30% more murders, 
higher property crimes, homelessness crisis. The experiment failed, and the people of San Francisco said had enough. And I think you're going to see that in places like New York City and Los Angeles, too. And I think it saved the country. That's John Yu, uh, obviously a professor at uh, Berkeley, former uh, key uh, attorney with the uh, Bush administration, John Yu, weighing in last night on Chesa Bodine's epic fail as he didn't even last one term and in a job he never should have had with policies that never should have been implemented, but were supported by George Soros, who financed his entire campaign. Same with Gascon. I believe that I'm not positive, but I think it's the same thing with Alvin Bragg of New York City. Is this the beginning of the end? My fingers are cl- crossed and I am hopeful. Rich Lowry joins us from National Review. Rich, are you equally as optimistic that the the end of this permissive criminal culture is uh, is upon us. I think this is an inflection point. I don't think it's going to mean that you see this everywhere in, in deep blue cities. You had the progressive PA in Philadelphia actually getting reelected, but it's a, it's a key indicator. And really importantly, it's going to scare Democrats, so they're less likely to go down the path with these kind of candidates in the future. And it's a, it's a great thing for San Francisco. I mean, this was just a debacle. Uh, for, as we heard from that clip from John Yu, all sorts of crimes were up. The public disorder was up. And even in San Francisco, there's a breaking point and people were sick and tired and weren't going to take it anymore. What about this Mayor Rick Caruso and their support he got with the Hollywood community, as well as William Bratton, former L.A. and New York uh, and uh, Boston police commissioner? He comes in with a billion dollars, talks about law and order. He stopped being a Republican and now is pretending he seems to be a Democrat. And he got more votes than anybody else. And he and Karen Bass will be in a runoff. What do you uh, assess? uh, What do you conclude from this? Well, another sign of the power of the crime issue, even among Democrats. We actually saw that with Eric Adams. But the key thing, and this is where Adam, Eric Adams is, is relevant, you just can't say it. You know, you really have to be willing to, to do it and grind down on it and take the political heat and, and know what you're doing. So, so far, that's a, a big difference between Eric Adams and Rudy Giuliani, who came in in even worse circumstances in 1993 in New York City and obviously transformed it in an enormously uh, important way. So we'll, we'll see with Caruso. Again, it's a, it's a straw in the wind. It's better than the alternative. Um, it, it's good, good that someone like that can get traction even among Democrats, but the proof will be in the pudding. All right. uh, Let's talk about uh, something else I think is important. Matthew McConaughey comes to Capitol Hill uh, yesterday, and I think with uh, his charisma intact, and I think it's authentic. You read his book. It was a bestseller for about him for about a year. I think it might still even be on the list because it was intriguing, honest, and humble, even though obviously he's got a lot going for him. He's had a lot of success. How do you think this played out yesterday? Here's Here's a little of Matthew McConaughey on some of the gun suggestions he has cut for. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. We need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations to our nation, states, communities, schools, and homes. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. Did he move the needle? He might have a little bit. I mean, there's a reason the guy is a 
cosmic level movie star, right? He's a, a really effective communicator. There's some things in there that make no sense. There's some that, that make sense. I'm convinced that we should go up to, to 21. You can't buy a handgun until you're 21. Why do you, why can you buy a, a rifle? That's an artifact, a, artifact of a time, you know, when you're in rural Wisconsin and you, you buy a hunting rifle that would be up on the wall most of the year, except for in deer season. And we're kind of beyond that. I think it's a state level issue. I don't think the, the federal government should should regulate it, but I think it makes sense the way Florida did to go from 18 to 21 on rifles. I'm in favor of red flag laws. Again, at the state level, I think it would be a disaster for the feds to do it and with, with appropriate due process uh, protections. But some of these other things, you know, background checks, it just doesn't, it doesn't affect these kind of shootings. These guys uh, haven't committed crimes. They haven't been committed. Uh, so their background checks come up clean. I mean, they go through background checks. They're not buying these at gun shows from private dealers. So that, that's just a shibboleth that, that makes no sense. But I, I think this time there is a, some chance of, of federal legislation. I think it would be appropriately relatively uh, minor, you know, increased security funding, funding for red flag laws uh, at state level. But, you know, look, they, these are horrific events, and he, he McConaughey spoke about them very passionately and emotionally. So I think that evidently Mitch McConnell's report in the New York Times today told others he'd be open to raising the age, but it looks like Senator Cornyn does not have that on the table. What I think is a joke, Rich, I think is a joke when I hear President Biden's spokesperson come out and say he's not interested in discussing securing schools. Are you kidding me? How could you not? How could you not even mm-hmm. think that's a pure political advantage if you want to actually get funding and you want to say, I want to provide this. By the way, there's enough money in the system from the pandemic. But let's just say hypothetically the coffers are empty for the small rural schools or for the working class communities to be able to get somebody in your school to protect it. Uh, I believe that the American people would work an extra day to avoid the next elementary school shooting. We would provide the money to do that and the training to make it happen. And, of course, do it at the local level. We provide that money. But how, as we sort this out, can you rationalize not having an experienced person at the school? What cop doesn't want to make more money in overtime? And what a retired cop doesn't want to do something like that? Yeah, it's just that they, they think gun control is the only thing, even though most of the gun control measures will have nothing to do with it. And everything else is a evil and immoral distraction, including greater security at the schools. So nothing is foolproof. The chance of any school, thank God, being targeted is, is very minimal. But just the peace of mind for parents and communities matters a lot. So the extent we can, yes, let's get armed guards at schools. Let's refashion them. You can't do this at every school. You know, high schools have some have a enormous campuses where this is impossible, but single entrance, multiple exits, and and an armed person at the door. You know, that that seems common sense. It's not foolproof again. You know, the the armed guard might run and hide. He might get overwhelmed, but it's, it's, it's something. So we should be doing everything we can to work this problem and at least at the margins try to reduce it. You know, God, if we, if we can just have, you know, a school shooting once every three years in, instead of once every two years or once every year or whatever it is, that's a huge benefit to whatever community would have been targeted and to the nation. I mean, these, just, these are shattering events. The other thing I would do if I'm the NRA, and I know they're in tatters right now, but I'd be the first one out there. And I'd be listening. this is not me. Uh, this is nothing to do with me. You know, I'm a soccer player. If a soccer player ends up violent and shooting up a school, I'd go, listen, don't blame soccer. You know, don't blame the sport. I go, listen, mm-hmm. don't blame the gun. And I'd be getting ahead of this and not, instead of hiding from it. 
And I'm not saying they're necessarily hiding, but they're certainly not in front of it because what Matthew McConaughey is so, is so right. Responsible gun owners are so tired of people killing in their name and having them having to pay the price. So let's move on. I, I am not – I don't think it's rare to watch Sean Hannity or Rich Lowry or other true conservatives, uh, uh, Tucker, and hear criticism of Joe Biden. I am surprised when a USA Today op-ed featuring Brett Bruin of the Obama administration is in detail and talks about cringing when Joe Biden talks. Cringing. And here's a little of it. He said, I used to cringe when the vice president took to the podium, meaning Biden, despite all the preparation that went into an event on his remarks. As a staffer in the National Security Council, you never quite knew what he would say. At times, his offhanded comments could spice up what otherwise would be a boring presser. Yet there were other times, too many times, when it would veer into dangerous terrain. The reckless riffs have continued during his presidency, especially when discussing diplomacy. This is an extraordinarily dangerous time for the U.S. and our allies. It requires a strong and consistent level of diplomatic discipline. I fear that anything that could anything less could lead to us unnecessarily into a conflict with China, Iran, Russia, and North Korea. At the very least, from our hemisphere on the Asia-Pacific region, we have unnecessarily undermined our standing and irresponsibly handed propaganda points to our adversaries. Something needs to be fundamentally changed in how this White House deals with diplomacy. Biden needs to reset his whole and national security team. They have repeatedly shown an inability to execute and to staff him effectively. We need more experienced leaders. That guy, I've never met him that I know of, but what a, what a, what a uh, no truer words have ever been written. Do you agree? Book him. Book him. You need, you need to book him right away. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think he's writing what most Democrats are thinking, but this is a problem I would have with it. At the end of the day, you know, and, and he makes a nod to this. It's not the staff, right? I mean, he, he can be staffed, he can be staffed by, you know, Henry Kissinger and the late Brent Scowcroft and like the, the, the most, you know, George Kennan, the, 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 the best foreign policy thinkers and practitioners of the last 100 years. And he'd still be Joe Biden. He'd still go out there at the, the podium and flub it. And there's, there's nothing to be done about that. And he's, he's always been undisciplined. He's always been a blowhard, as the, the author notes. But there, there, there's something worse about it now. You know, it's, it's obviously um, that there's some element of decline there. And I just think if you're the staff, you're terrified every time he steps to the podium. Whatever he, this guy felt when Biden was vice president is 10 times worse now. But how about Rich? How about the reports coming out that behind the scenes, Biden's enraged, his numbers are below Trump and being compared to Carter. Behind the scenes, his wife and sister are demanding his staff let Biden be Biden and be, be himself and go out amongst the people more. So, Rich, what you just said, they couldn't disagree with more. You think there's somewhat of a decline here and the risks are certainly more at stake. They have the opposite view. Yeah, I mean the, the Easter Bunny was right, right? The Easter Bunny guided him away from reporters at the, the ah. Easter egg roll at the White House for a reason, and that they're scared for a reason. So Joe Biden, I, I I think he's always had a certain kind of you know blowhardish charm to him. You know he is. You know if if you're in a studio right now, everyone would love him. You know he'd be slapping you on the back and telling old stories. But that doesn't, you know, that's not going to explain away inflation or the debacle in Afghanistan or the border. So they can have him go do that at Memorial Day picnics or whatever as much as they want. It's not going to help. And then anytime you have him out in the wild just speaking his mind as president of the United States in his current state, it's perilous. You know, not just politically, but potentially 
in terms of international affairs, as the up, uh, USA Today op-ed writer says. So it, the, the idea that, that he's ill-staffed or that the staff is, is overly constraining him, I just I don't buy. So here are some examples, and then they list in the column some of his reckless riffs, his inevitability of Kabul's fall to the Taliban. Remember, it's not going to be like Saigon. And remember this, cut 30. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. We do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. The United States remains committed to our one China policy. We do not support Taiwan independence. If chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military response from NATO? It would would trigger a response in kind. The United States has no intention of using chemical weapons, period, under any circumstances. Listen, I mean, what do you want to – this is them. I'm not I'm, – you know, I'm just putting this together quickly. This is, this, is, this is international war. This is international affairs that could result in war. Yeah, so the, the chemical weapons one I, I still find the most funny. <laughs> I know this is serious stuff, but calling for regime regime change in Russia, you know, all you got to do, you've been around politics for 40 years, you know a president on anything sensitive with regard to international affairs, you read the script. You know, as journalists and commentators, we might not like it. That's boring. You know, we prefer politicians who are more uh, spontaneous. You know, that was part of Trump's appeal, obviously, in 2015, 2016, all during his presidency. But it's better just to read the script. And, and he, he just can't do it. So, again, the, the, the staff, that they got to be uh, um, walking on eggshells every time they know he's, he's giving a, a speech, even, even if it's from a teleprompter. And here's lastly, doesn't talk about decline, talks about Biden. He's worse than Trump. How Biden bungled this job. It says sometimes the president's experience and overconfidence don't serve him well. Decades doing diplomacy have led Biden to developing pretty rigid perceptions and policy positions. He's often stuck in outdated notions how the world works. Repeatedly, we have watched him stick to his guns, even as events in places like Kabul radically changed. That's the scariest part. So this is a he's saying even if he was 60, we're screwed. Yeah. So look, you know, I, I'm I'm 53, and my wife will tell you I'm I'm set in my ways in certain things. <laughs> you know, I can't get my head around certain things. And imagine if you're almost 80, and it's much more consequential. And I think Afghanistan is a good example where he and the, and the Obama White House, he thought Obama was rolled by the generals. You know, yep. Obama didn't do, want to do a surge in Afghanistan. He got sort of trapped by the generals and forced to do it. So Biden's like, I'm telling the generals, no, I don't care what they say. I'm ignoring them. I'm saying go to hell. I'm following my gut. And the generals were right. <laughs> they, maybe they're wrong, you know, uh, um, when they're advising Obama. But they were certainly right this time around. But he was so stuck in his way. He had this mental rut that he was going to adhere to, and it led to a disaster. Rich Lowry, National Review. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. Take care. You, you got it. Uh, read his columns. They're great. one 408 When we come back, I go back to the phones. You have a lot to say from guns to the economy to Joe being Joe. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I believe that. I think we're being told we're more divided than we are. I think that the veil over the masses' eyes, I think we got the numbers. And if we got to pull that veil off, quit drinking that Kool-Aid because we're hearing it from both sides. 
the extreme right and extreme left, and they have the microphone. And I believe we have the numbers. That- well, that's what he believes. I, I do believe there's there's a lot less hate than is being percep- uh, the perception is and is being portrayed. Hey, let's go to KT, very patient in Georgia. Hey, KT, you're not buying McCon- what McConaughey was selling yesterday. No, no, I, I don't think that he was. Uh, he was speaking for himself. He was being a Democrat uh, mouthpiece. But here's the deal, Brian. You and you and uh, Rich pretty much covered everything I was going to talk about. But um, right now, you can tell who really wants to solve this problem. I don't think Democrats do because they want the issues. But what they need to do is turn inward. Every senator needs to be talking to their governor and working on handling this locally. If they need money, they can use COVID money. But they need to work on securing the schools. I don't think anybody should argue with you with that. But I would say give Senator Murphy and the cha- in the past he's always been partisan. I mean I don't agree with uh, probably ninety five percent of what he's done. But so far he's been really diplomatic about this, uh, KT. But good point. Let's keep it local. David W T K F in North Carolina. Hey Brian, how you doing? Good. Where do you stand? Well, I actually have sold many guns both in person and online. And the thing about background checks that people don't understand is that you do have to perform them. The problem is that when I do a face-to-face sale, uh, I have no way of doing that other than going to a gun shop and having, you know, paying somebody to do it. If I sell a gun to someone online, I can go through easy FFL and verify that the FFL that I'm sending that gun to is legitimate, but I, I just don't have easy access to it, uh, to like a background check system. Uh, when I tell a gun to like someone in my home state. Really? I did not know that. So you can't get easy access to a background check? No, you've got to go to a gun shop and pay a gun dealer anywhere from 25 to $50. They actually charge you more because the person's not buying the gun from their shop. If I buy a gun from Salt Lake CU and you send it to yeah, my you FFL, built I go it into there. the price. Yeah. Interesting, David. That's an interesting nuance. I would not know unless I did what you did. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. Uh, we're headquartered at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, and so glad you're here. Bobby Brack's going to bring inside the big January 6th coverage that most networks are going to be carrying. Uh, he's going to be with us from OutKick. He's also going to be talking about the new philosophy at CNN. If you're too partisan, they're going to fire you. Let's see how that goes, because Chris Lick, the guy that got hired, made or allowed Stephen Colbert to be one of those partisan late-night talk show hosts in the history of late-night talk show hosts. So I don't know why he's going to change his uh, credo now that he has this job. But it's not our problem, but it's something to analyze. And standing by is Mary Anastasia O'Grady. If anybody knows more about Central and South America and what it means to this country, I don't know who it is. She writes for the Wall Street Journal. And, of course, we have our Conference of the Americas taking place in, uh, in Los Angeles. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Senator, we're seeing high inflation in almost all developed countries around the world. With respect to energy, the uh, administration has done everything that they can to bring down energy costs. 
Right. Uh, through climate change, climate change, climate change. I wish you would just slow down a little. Explain yourself. That's what President Biden's team has been asked to do as inflation. Gas prices soar and 11 million jobs remain unopened. Their unacceptable, elusive, delusional economic tap dancing leaves me both angry and worried. Number two. It's just so funny to think that in San Francisco, there's this vast right-wing conspiracy happening when we really haven't had that type of influence there. California's Democrats in San Francisco have even said these regressive and soft-on-crime policies have been hurting us. Yeah, uh, hope. That's all I could say. One word. That's what I feel after the successful recall of San Fran District Attorney Chesa Bodine. The man who helped make smash and grab become a nationwide trend was ousted from his term because he flat out refused to prosecute criminals. Next up, Gascon in Los Angeles and maybe Alvin Bragg in New York. Number one. You know what? Every one of these parents wanted what they asked us for. That they want their children's dreams to continue to accomplish something after they are gone. They want to make their loss of life matter. Matthew McConaughey wowed everyone in the press room and later with Brett Baer. Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood shoot it is a way to Washington. Washington actually got, Hollywood became one into Washington as Matthew McConaughey comes to the Capitol to talk gun control, safe schools, and political middle ground. Does the green light author have a personal stake in this? Yes. Uvalde is his hometown. His mom taught down the street. Did he move the ball? We will discuss it, but not uh, right now. First, I'd like to discuss what's happening in these uh, Conference of Americas and the country that is not there, and that is Mexico, uh, with Mary Astacia. O'Grady of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Mary, welcome back. Hi, Brian. Good to be here. Mary, this is this is like your Super Bowl, right? I mean, this is your beat, and it's come to your country. Yeah, the Summit of the Americas started in 1994 with Bill Clinton, um, but it hasn't been in the U.S. since then. So uh, they hold it about every three years, um, and it's held in different countries around the region. So um, the Biden administration decided this would be a good time to bring it back to the U.S., but uh, it looks like they didn't do a lot of planning before they decided to do that. (laughs) In what respect? Well, uh, the problem was that when they announced they were having a summit, they suddenly were confronted by a bunch of countries that said, we're not coming. Um, A couple of them are allies of the U.S., like Brazil and Guatemala, both of which were kind of miffed at the the Biden administration because they had been badly treated. Uh, They're center-right governments, so they don't have progressive agendas, and the Biden administration has um, decided that they – need to be punished. Um, Now, uh, they did manage to convince the Brazilian president to come by offering him a one-on-one with Joe Biden. But the president of Guatemala, which is a small and poor country, but a very strategically important country because it's one of the um, three countries that make up the Northern Triangle, uh, he is not coming. Of course, they are sending a foreign ministry delegation, but the president himself is not coming uh, because he's uh, basically protesting um, very poor treatment from the Biden administration. 
So interesting, Mary, because you know how President Trump obviously alienated the Mexican leader at the time by saying, I'm going to build a wall, and, and the Mexico got all upset by, I'm going to make Mexico pay for it, and they didn't speak. By the time Trump was done in four years, Obrador was like his best friend, world leader, even though he was a, he comes over and is a socialist by trade. You know more about the Mexican government than I will uh, ever know. But they end up, he was the last one, I think, to recognize that Biden actually won the election, and he was the one enforcing his southern border to help our northern border and allow Remain in Mexico to take root. How did, how did this relationship fracture? Over what? Well, I'm not sure if uh, Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, was actually a friend of uh, Donald Trump's, but he respected him and I think on some level feared him, realized that um, the relationship with the U.S. could if it turned sour, could damage him and his own political agenda in Mexico. And therefore, uh, he found ways to cooperate with Donald Trump. And in the case of Joe Biden, I think, you know, this president has signaled so much weakness uh, around the world. And uh, so uh, Lopez Obrador decided to use the issue of Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua, where they're uh, dictatorships now. Uh, and I mean, Nicaragua is shooting people, students in the streets. As we know, the Cuban prisons are filled with political prisoners. And we know the story of Venezuela. So rather than show up to the summit, Lopez Obrador decided to use the fact that those three countries are not invited to the summit because the summit has standards. Uh, and he said he would not show up if Biden didn't invite them. And to Joe Biden's credit, he didn't invite them. But I don't think it's because he's ideologically uh, concerned about those three countries as much as he's concerned about what it would do to the chance for Democrats in South Florida in November. (laughs) You see past everything. (laughs) So for for us to talk seriously about, I consider the number one issue with Central and South America, number one, China's growing influence in the region has to be concerning. Number two, what's happening with illegal immigration and the breakdown of our border. Kamala Harris is in charge, and she's done such a wonderful job. Here's an example. Cut 31. I approached the task with a few basic principles. One, my belief, I think I share a belief, that most people don't want to leave home. I know, as a devout public servant, that to address this issue, government cannot do it alone. We must partner with the private sector and civil society to address what we know can be addressed through collaboration and coordination. There's a 32-mile line marching up uh, from through Guatemala, through Mexico, to our border right now from people who do want to leave home and call this home. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a, there's a couple of things to unpack there. First of all, uh, you know, collaboration with the private sector, my foot. I mean, the the uh, the government that the Biden administration is most closely allied with is the new government in Honduras, and it's a very left wing government. They're they're close allies with Cuba, and the Hondurans were trying to create a competitive. Uh, electricity market that could actually supply, um, you know, factories and that might move from China to Central America doing what we call nearshoring. 
And this new government, which came in in January, just repealed all the uh, reforms that were done in order to do that. So, you know, if you really are serious about economic development in the region, you don't uh, put the electricity sector back in the hands of the state where we know there's tons of corruption and it's incapable of actually producing the energy supplies that you need. Um, and, you know, on, on another subject which is closely related to that is I do believe that a lot of the people who are coming uh, across the border are people who want to work. I mean, the if you look just at raw economics, there's a deficiency of labor in this country. Yep. And the earning potential is a lot better than it is in these countries. So what what should we do about that? We need to give them a legal path, which means that the consulates and the embassies in these countries would say, okay, you want to work in the U.S., you come here, you file your paperwork, and you get the papers you need to go to the U.S. And, you know, during the pandemic, these consulates and, and embassies closed down. They were not processing uh, legal documents for people who, even people who didn't want to move here, but just renewing their visas and so forth. Basically, the State Department did not want to go back to work, even after there were protocols in place that would keep employees safe. They didn't want to reopen. So what do people do when they see that the border is not enforced and that the best way to go is not to file legal papers, but to just go en masse to the border and walk over. So there's all the messaging is wrong. They're they're messaging that the illegal way of entry is the best way and the legal way of entry, well, that door is closed. Couple of things. I agree to a degree, but how does that explain sending unaccompanied minors with coyotes and these other groups up to our border and just leaving them there? I've never seen anything quite like it in the numbers that we're experiencing. And you are right. You've said this from day one. Bulk up the consulates, make it easier to apply for a work visa, fill up some of these jobs, do it in an organized way, let them earn their citizenship at a time in which America needs their labor and they can appreciate our culture. And I think there will be a way to ease this. But there seems to be this thing called ignoring the problem. <laughs> they don't even address it, Mary. It must be so frustrating for you because there are there – are, there are answers to these questions. There are these are problems that can be solved. Well, I think again, you know, you have to look at the experiences. People in these countries look and see that other family members or friends sent children to the border. The children got across the border. The children went to live with other family members who are already in the U.S. And those families feel that's a better option for their children than staying where they are. Now, you know, obviously the Coyote uh, Avenue is is terrible and, you know, we've had um, some circumstances of, uh, you know, sex trafficking and that sort of thing. But I can tell you, Brian, my, my, my paternal grandfather came on a ship at the age of 12 by himself. Why? Because his mother said his only shot at a future was in the U.S. So there's a lot of that also going on. I, you know, I can't, you, obviously no one defends, you know, the, the unaccompanied minors. But again, when you have these two uh, very um, op- opposing circumstances, people with, without jobs, without investment, without legal paths in these countries, and you have the U.S. Um, border 
open uh, the Border Patrol, letting people pass, giving them just a piece of paper to show up in six months. I mean, all the incentives, all the signals are going to invite more of the same. You know what we say about insanity. I mean, we're doing the same thing over and over again. We can't expect different results. I agree. So what exactly could take place? Uh, we know that the Kamala Harris is bragging that she's got visa and the gap to build a $1.2 billion uh, private sector, I guess, facility there in December and allow Harris uh, to talk about $3.2 billion in overall investment. That was her goal. But for the most part, she has really ignored the assignment. Well, I, I think that there's, uh, in terms of the economic development, it's at best, it's a medium term. You know, it's not going to be fixed this week. You have a large caravan coming again. Um, you know, that's that that's an immediate problem that is not going to be fixed by investment in Central America. And, you know, as I mentioned before, um, you know, we may have to write off Honduras because this government, which the Biden administration likes so much, is basically imposing kind of Venezuelan uh, policies on the country. Um, but I think that if we're going to seriously deal with, for example, this caravan, we need, A, the cooperation of the Mexican government. I mean, they say that a lot of these people are waiting in Tapachula on the other side of the Suchiachi River now, and they haven't been able to cross into Mexico. But I think that the Mexican government could be doing a better job. And I think part of the problem here is that Lopez Obrador doesn't want to offend his left flank. So he's trying to, you know, basically uh, accommodate uh, some of this more than what he did during President Trump. And then, of course, we have to do more about our own border. I mean, the idea that when people get to the border and they say they literally hand themselves in and are given a piece of paper and told, OK, come back in six months. I mean, you know, what do we expect to happen? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just totally illogical to expect any other uh, circumstances. Many of these people who are coming are good people. I can see why people in Texas and Americans are upset about it. They're good people. But if we I think that the responsibility of the U.S. is to maintain order at the border right. And by doing that, you 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 just invite the incentives are all wrong. I mean, you're going to but, continue you know, Mary, to have more of the good same. good people, but how can you possibly say we know the character of 220,000 people exactly. coming a month? Yeah, we no, can't. no, no. It's da- yeah. it's also dangerous from a security standpoint. Of but you know, there are other yeah. issues. Like, for example, if you want these people to work in the legal sector so you can collect taxes from them, you need to have them legally registered. That's called so- a plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mary. Thanks so much. I'm up against a break. You can hear the music, but uh, there's no one better at this than you. Nice to Mary talk Astasia, to you, Brian. Uh, uh, O'Grady. Thank you very much. Read your comments in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when we come back. I'll take your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Then Bobby Brack. We go inside the media with these conference is going to be like on January 6th. They say it's going to be a show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. 1-866-408-7669. I see this story uh, breaking. I just want to share with you. It looks like a man was picked up uh, in a short distance to Judge uh, Justice Kavanaugh's house. Uh, He was armed from California and was picked up on a street nearby. 
More details are coming up, but an armed man arrested near Justice Kavanaugh's house. You see the problem with when you don't enforce the law and you allow these Supreme Court justices' homes to be protested, their neighborhoods to be disrupted? You would think, only logic tells you, sadly, that some nut job is going to show up like John Hinckley uh, armed. We'll find out details. But that's why Senator Cornyn brought up, I think, a month ago that all our Supreme Court justices need full-time security. That's the story. Remember, this Wisconsin judge was zip-tied by some other person that he put in jail and assassinated, and the guy had a hit list on him. That story came out over the weekend. Um, So we'll we'll follow this. And this is all in light of the fact that Roe v. Wade could be overturned and that could be announced. Uh, It's supposed to be announced sometime this month. And when that happens, uh, emotions were already high when it was thought to be a done deal. Imagine when it actually is a done deal. I'm Brian Kilmeade uh, on the road in beautiful Dallas, Texas, headquartered still at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. When we come back, uh, we're going to be joined, go inside the numbers with Outkick's own Barack, uh, Bobby Barack. Uh, will tell us what's happening on these other networks and what's going to happen likely on January 6th. They have a documentarian producing this as a show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They want it both ways because they want the political narrative to defeat the facts, but it's just not true. We acted appropriately, like the Inspector General's report stated, and President Trump had the foresight to issue the authorization for the National Guard's men and women. Those are the hard facts that a congressional investigation is diluting with their politicization of our national security apparatus. Former Trump staffer Cash Patel talking about January 6th and talked about him, the president of the United States, along with uh, being there when the request was made, when President Trump said, get about 20,000 National Guard members out there. It had to be approved uh, by General Milley, who knew about it. So even though January 6th was, I think, 30,000 people showed up and that we know thousands stormed the Capitol. We're going to get details of it now. But to say the president wanted it, I think, is a a bridge too far. That's we'll try to prove it. But it's going to be a show. And it begins on Thursday night. And every all the network's going to cover the initial day. And they're putting their biggest names and their biggest news up front. I think it's totally inappropriate. The news should carry the day. You shouldn't be putting together a show, but that's what you did by hiring the producer from Good Morning America. Joining me now, Bobby Brack from Outkick, contact, uh, always comments on all things media-related. Bobby, what do you think Thursday's going to be like, and do you think it's important, and do you think we'll hear any of what the Trump side is? Yeah, first of all, Brian, thanks for having me. And, you know, I think this entire showcase of the January 6th hearing is so emblematic of where the mainstream media or just the media in general is today because, like you said, this entire thing, it's not about looking for the truth. They're working backwards to pretty much show why we need to blame Trump for this. And like you said, they're going a bridge way too far by trying to say the president actually wanted people to storm the Capitol. And they're not looking for the truth or hearing both sides. They want to turn this into a television event to condemn and try to bury Trump and his supporters. And most importantly, I've seen the news preview this and highlight it and bring people on to discuss what's to come. Brian, they're totally trying to distract from all the other current issues going on, whether it's inflation, gas prices, poor polling, immigration at the border. There's a lot of stories going on. So for them to say all of that's going to take a back seat because of this television hearing, that is so telling about where the press is right now. 
Uh, no doubt about it. But, you know, I'm a little disappointed in, in – I know Liz Cheney is a conservative. There's no doubt about it. What I thought she'd get in there, as much as her and Trump are in a death match, I thought she'd point out things that – when was this bridge too far? No, that's not true. That's not true. Conservatives don't – I thought there'd be a little bit of pushback. But uh, same with Adam Kinzinger, who I know, and he's a conservative guy. Like a lot of Republicans, couldn't agree with everything Trump said. And at the end, he obviously came out and became the voice of dissent among Republicans. But at the same time – He's not a Democrat. There's nothing about either one of those that are Democrat. Do you think at any point during this hearing there'd be any pushback to the overreach on the condemnation? No, and I think the biggest problem we have with all of these stories is the cowardice people have not to be able to push back and put their name on defending the subject who is being targeted. Um, there are countless examples of this. And the issue with this entire charade is that we're not going to uncover any truth. All it is is going to divide us more, and it's just an entire an entire event to try to pin this on Trump and to keep this story going because, quite frankly, the news benefits from this story in the news because, A, like we just said, it can distract from all the stories they don't want to cover about Biden's presidency and the mistakes right. going on, but also – it continues to show this obsession with Donald Trump and the inability to move off of him. Um, is this hearing, CNN, I was watching a clip yesterday. They're not promoting this just about January 6th. They're promoting this as a label on Donald Trump's presidency. This is how Trump walked out of Washington, D.C. It's how he got on the helicopter, left the White House. This was his final mark in the country. This is about Donald Trump, not the rioters, not the protesters. Not yeah, they want to. They, they want to make sure it doesn't Donald run Trump. again, and no doubt about it. But Absolutely. Uh, here's what Britt Hume said about it. Well, let's be clear about this committee. While it is bipartisan, it is bipartisan on paper only because all the members of the committee, including the two Republicans who served, were appointed by the Democrats by Nancy Pelosi, in fact. And she was careful to choose the two Republican members who could be counted on to agree with the conclusions already reached by her. And he goes on. Uh, but, you know, January 6th was horrific. The president's decision to have a rally and say march over was terrible. Uh, to go into the Capitol is, uh, was uh, beyond wrong. But I think there was also some revelation came out that I think that they believe has hurt Trump. I think he's actually better. Uh, evidently, Secret Service has said the president insisted on going to the Capitol and wanted to go, and they just could not find a path for him to get him there safely, so he didn't. If Trump had been allowed to go, there's no doubt about it they don't go into the Capitol. Are they going to show that Trump wanted to lead them into the Capitol? Of course not. And, and I love what Brett Hume just said that this is a quote-unquote bipartisan, but it's really not because the Democrats pick the committee and the people that are quote-unquote Republicans. I mean, they are technically, but they're not here to bring a different side. They're here to side with the Democrats. And yet there's so much about this. See, I'm with you, Brian. I actually believe there are revelations that we could uncover and talk about January 6th, like you just said about what Trump would have done if he would have got there and told the protesters to leave or not go in. But that's not what this is about, and I don't expect any of that to come to fruition. I think this entire thing is going to be a waste of time, and quite mm -hmm. frankly, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact because I think the people that hate Trump and blame yeah. Trump are only going to hate him more. And the people that say, well, obviously January 6th was horrific, but 
it Trump didn't incite it or encourage protesters, they're going to continue to have that point of view. But, so but Bobby, here's the, the thing. The, here, here's the thing to keep in mind. Republicans are watching this. The Chris Christie's of the world, the Ron DeSantis's, the Nikki Haley, the Mike Pompeo that might want to run for Ted Cruz, might want to run for president. And they're going to assess whether they run or not by how much damage they think has been done to Trump to what he needs, not to his base is not going to budge, but to moderates and independents. And if they think that he's vulnerable and can't win, a lot of people are afraid that Democrats will win again on the right. And if they feel as though Trump can't win and loses those moderates and those suburban housewives again, that might affect who actually runs for president. I'll keep my eye on that. We're also keeping an eye on this story. Cops have arrested a man threatening to kill Justice Kavanaugh. They found him with a gun and a knife blocked from his house from California. All we know in his 20s armed and they know his intent was for Kavanaugh and his family. Wow. We will follow that. That's obviously we're going wall to wall. That is why you don't allow protesters to show up. That is why the security needs to be um, over the top for the Supreme Court justices, just like they're the uh, president of the United States. Think about this. In this twisted mind, they might be saying, look, I kill a Supreme Court justice. They'll have to do a nominee. We have a Democrat in the House, the Senate for a few more months. They'll get a Democrat on there, and Roe v. Wade lives. In those twisted minds that we're all witnessing, perhaps that was in his. I want to go to another article that you had that maybe got buried, but I think is significant. For the longest time, we see everybody going along with what their league says. Black Lives Matter on the side of the court. Uh, We're playing the Black National Anthem before an NFL game side of the court in basketball. We have uh, Black Lives Matter armbands on MLS players. Well, during Pride Day in Major League Baseball, you write, and this happened, five Tampa Rays players refused to wear the gay pride patch on the uniforms. uh, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson all decided they didn't want to do it. And the New York Times called them out, accusing them of condemning the gay culture. They said it was against their religion. Uh, they're nothing against anybody. They just didn't want to be part of this promotion. They opted out. Where, where, where do you think uh, – how significant is this moment? Yeah, and, and uh, this follows up a column I wrote last week about how I think the entire branding situation around Pride Month has been hijacked by – these elitist Hollywood athletes that they've made this all about themselves as a means of virtue signal. And this race story, so yet some background here is these five players for the Tampa Bay race said they did not want to put the gay pride patch on their uniforms during their game last weekend because they right. said it goes against their religious beliefs. They did not condemn their teammates who wore the patches. They just said, given their religion, they don't want to wear it. In the media, right on cue has crushed them and spun this story in really radical directions. The New York Times said that not wearing the gay patch is an attack. It's a smear on gay culture. And ESPN commentator Sarah Spain, she went on air and said those five players are bigots and their religion is quote-unquote BS and a lie. Think about that, Brian. The New York Times and ESPN are telling anyone that has a religion to shut up, don't practice, and go along with any progressive trip. There's a meme that goes on online. I share it quite often that says, I support the current thing. And it talks about how people are just instinctively go along with any woke initiative, whether it's 
hashtag BLM or hashtag mask up or now participating in Pride Month. These people aren't supporting marginalized groups. They're doing it to benefit themselves. That way no one can call them anti-gay because they have the gay pride patch on their jerseys. So I look at Pride Month right now. It's not about the LGBT community. It's about people and power and public figures wanting to make sure nobody can come at them. It's essentially a protective shield saying, wait a minute, leave me alone. I'm going along to get along. I believe the entire thing is a ruse. And I give those five players credit for standing up because pushing back against a trend is far more courageous than bowing down and participating is. Well, the other thing is interesting, too, when we're talking to Bobby Barack of OutKick, uh, in Hungary, the in, the British went to play the Hungarian national team in soccer, and when the national uh, when the national anthem played, they took a knee, and the Hungarian fans booed the British players for taking a knee during their national anthem. Get your head around that, I guess, because they didn't feel like race relations were where they should be in England, and they thought they'd show us in Hungary. Nice. Lastly, you write a column about an announcement from Chris Licht. Evidently, the new CNN president is evaluating his partisan pundits. We know who they are, uh, led by uh, Don Lemon and others, uh, on their willingness to adapt to being more news first rather than opinion first in how they cover things. More, less anti-Trump, more tell me something interesting. Do you think this is going to fly? And why do you think this got out in the media and wasn't handled behind closed doors? Yeah, so from what I know, and some of this is public, a guy named John Malone, who is a board member and lead stockholder of Discovery, which now controls CNN, a parent company, Warner Brothers Media, he's been talking for about a year that he wants to put CNN back to its roots as a truth-first, fact-based outlet, not, to use his words, a far-left opinionated hub, which it really became under Jeff Zucker. And I find the leak so interesting. And as someone who has dealt with these anonymous sources before, um, leaks get out when somebody wants it to get out. I think it's pretty clear that CNN is putting this information out to warn these partisans, and we know who they are, the Jim Acostas, Don Lemon, Brian Stelters, Brianna Kyler. He's sending a warning that, hey, if you guys don't tone down the lying the hyperbole and the hysteria, we are going to move off you. In the Axios report yesterday, which is the outlet that the leakers went to, which I think came from CNN, they put it right in the headline that Lick is saying that if these people don't pivot to a journalistic side of their um, stick, they're going to get fired. And we'll see if that can happen. I have some doubts that Chris Lick is going to be able to execute this pivot because you know, Brian, that if he starts firing these partisans, they're going to go right to the New York Times and the media matters and say, hey, this guy's trying to hold me back for speaking out against racism and sexism. So I don't know if he's going to be able to execute it, but I do think that he has gotten an ultimatum from the bosses ahead of him at Discovery to say, hey, we don't want CNN to be MSNBC light anymore. We want to bring it back to its roots where right. it's at least a respectable outlet that can report the facts. So who do you think they're looking at especially? Name five. Yeah, um, Jim Acosta, Don Lemon, Brianna Kyler, um, Laura Coates, Brian Stelter, and Oliver Darcy, to me, are the groups that they would look at and say, these are the partisans that are ruining our image. Because, look, I'll give CNN credit. They actually have 
some of the best reporters. Clarissa Ward is world-class. She is phenomenal. But people like Lemon and Stelzer and Acosta, they drown out all that credibility with their absurdity. So I think that's the group that they're looking at, particularly Acosta. Some of the things he says on the weekend <laughs> is absolutely wild. I can't imagine anyone that cares about the truth as a fan of this guy. I believe he's on the hot seat first Bobby. and foremost. Yeah, okay. Uh, Bobby, thanks so much. It's going to be very interesting. If Trump runs again, if they're going to hold their fire and treat him, uh, treat him with respect, because they have not in four and a half years. Uh, Bobby cool. Brock, great job. Outkick. Appreciate it. Brian, appreciate it, man. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up with some phone calls. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're Joe Biden and Janet Yellen. You come into office in January uh, 2021 with an 80-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle of the plate, and that's called the U.S. economy. And here's why. The economy was improving greatly. People forgot this. They were all, you know, I know the election was crazy. I know January 6th was nuts. But the Trump economy was pretty damn strong, particularly as he left office. On top of that, he delivered a vaccine which was effective against those first two very deadly variants Less effective on Omicron, but it didn't matter, okay? It was basically we were coming out of the pandemic. The economy was going to improve. And this is what they did. They turned around and they spent trillions of dollars on nothing. And they expected no inflation. And that's Charlie Gasparino, who's a reporter by trade. And you know that he was critical. You know for sure he was critical of, uh, of Donald Trump. And you know when he came out there and said, I'm friends with Donald, but. And he would come out and say things about the economy. But whatever you say about Trump, he was leaving. He left an underhand, uh, under, underhand, uh, underhand toss to home plate that Joe Biden could have hit out of the park. Leave the policies in place at the border. You just got $800 billion, I believe, in December, coming off all this pandemic spending. You could have looked so responsible with a vaccine and done a better job, maybe, than Trump organizing the rollout, although he already had a shot in a million arms. And then mentioned, by listening to the air quote scientists, that variants could come. But as things progress, my goal is to get people back in school and to have a normal summer straight ahead. Instead, you told everybody a vaccine, you're done, you're finished, you're through. In July, when it came back, in come all these crazy regulations. You had no vaccine. You had no therapeutic. You had no plan. Little did I know this was a precursor to the biggest disaster to hit our foreign policy and our reputation, which was Joe Biden's brainchild of an exit from Afghanistan. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, uh, for this hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget One Nation airs Saturday at 8 o'clock, repeated 11 Eastern Time, a show like no other, which will include Greg Norman talking about his brand new golf league and so much more. Don't move. Live. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, Brian Kilmeade. On the road in beautiful Dallas, Texas, the studios of KLIF and WBAP. Uh, thanks so much for putting me up today. I was on the road doing something. Uh, I had been put off the three years because of the pandemic. I had this great speech about Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, to this wonderful organization. Had a chance to talk about that, talk about winning the war in history. Uh, and it finally came up after three years. It was supposed to be on the weekend. We had to reschedule because of the rest of everything in our lives for today. And thanks to um, the great people here at this station, I was able to do the radio show, so I appreciate that. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. Meanwhile, the breaking news before I get to the big three. Uh, the breaking news is... Uh, that uh, Justice Kavanaugh had his life threatened. Uh, he did not know of it. We don't understand. But now there's been an arrest. And get this. Uh, there's a, a guy was picked up in his 20s. Uh, we know this. He's from California. We know that he was picked up with a gun and a knife, and it made his intent clear that he was looking to uh, kill Justice Kavanaugh and or his family. So for those of you who say there's uh, just nothing wrong with peacefully protesting at somebody's house, what could possibly go wrong? This could go wrong. And we know about that judge who was tied up in Wisconsin and killed by somebody that he put in jail. Uh, that is a problem. When you have to worry on our justice system that you'll be killed as if it is Saddam Hussein's Iraq. If you give a verdict that you don't like, we have a problem. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Lee Zeldin, who's standing by. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. Senator, we're seeing high inflation in almost all developed countries around the world. With respect to energy, the uh, administration has done everything that they can to bring down energy costs. Right. Janet Yellen, what a disgrace. Explain yourself. That's what President Biden's team has been asked to do as inflation and gas prices soar and 11 million jobs remain open. Their unacceptable, elusive, delusional economic tap dancing leaves me both angry and worried. Number two. It's just so funny to think that in San Francisco, there's this vast right wing conspiracy happening when we really haven't had that type of influence there. California's Democrats in San Francisco have even said these regressive and soft on crime policies have been hurting us. <laughs> yes, hope. That's how I feel after the successful recall of San Francisco DA Chesa Bodine. Number one. You know what? Every one of these parents wanted what they asked us for. That they want their children's dream to continue to accomplish something after they are gone. They want to make their loss of life matter. Hollywood hotshot Matthew McConaughey takes his star power to Washington. And he comes there as a gun owner who wants to see kids survive elementary school. We'll tell you what he said and if any progress was made. Uh, with me right now is Lee Zeldin. He's a congressman from uh, Long Island. He is also a Republican candidate to get the first. He wants to get the nomination, and then he wants to become the next governor of New York. Uh, congressman Zeldin, welcome back. It's always great to be with you, Brian. So we have a lot to discuss. This is a story in the New York Times today I thought was right up your alley. When you talk about, first off, your reaction to the fact that Justice Kavanaugh uh, has his life threatened by a gunman that was in his neighborhood. Well, this is terrible. And as you were just pointing out on air, that when 
there's this spin job of how this is just some peaceful protest. And from the White House press briefing room, you have the official spokesperson for the president encouraging it, refusing to condemn the targeted uh, outing of the addresses of where to find the families of United States Supreme Court justices, and then actually showing up, uh, and the ways that it can escalate because of leaders inside of the Democratic Party, like a Maxine Waters, who encourages confrontation. You, you don't, you don't know to what extent somebody's willing to go. And I remember five years ago when somebody who was a Bernie Sanders supporter who showed up at the baseball field where the Republicans were practicing for the congressional baseball game and shot Steve Scalise and would have killed a lot of others if not for the heroic Capitol Police officers who were there to take out the shooter. I don't blame Bernie Sanders for what his supporter did that day. Uh, unfortunately, you know, at, at, with this reality of you asking me about what's going on outside of Justice Kavanaugh's house, on, on, what you see right now is an encouragement of confrontation where people are being asked to show up at these locations to harass uh, justices and their families. It's wrong, and it can get worse. So when Matthew McConaughey comes to Capitol Hill and starts speaking as a gun owner coming forward, uh, you can appreciate his sincerity. Number one, it's great to have somebody to communicate in Washington. Here's a little of what he said. Cut five. We've got to take a sober, humble, and honest look in the mirror and rebrand ourselves based on what we truly value. What we truly value. We've got to get some real courage and honor our immortal obligations instead of our party affiliations. Enough with the counterpunching. Enough of the invalidation of the other side. It's come to the common table that represents the American people. Find a middle, middle ground, the place where most of us Americans live anyway, especially on this issue. Because I promise you, uh, America, you and me, we are not as divided as we are being told we are. So what do you think? Do you think that when you go around and you're campaigning now beyond Long Island, all up and down New York State, and you go to Washington at least half the year, do you think America is less divided? Do you think he's right? America is more divided. We've seen it uh, cut, cutting across many different aspects of life and the debate. Uh, it's only gotten worse over the last couple of years. And uh, I, I feel that, I mean, first off, New York State has the strictest gun control laws in the entire country. Um, but as you talk about this debate at a, at a federal level, I remember 2017, Republicans and Democrats come together for the Fix Nicks bill, which was an improvement on the background check system. And you had liberals, moderates, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, trying to find common ground to address an issue that needed to get fixed. And then right after that, I remember when Parkland took place, the Stop School Violence Act made its way through the process. It was introduced by a Republican member of the House and a bipartisan coalition got it through to harden our schools. I believe that Every school should have a trained armed school resource officer, that we should be uh, looking at single point of entry into schools and how to secure these locations. Um, but what is not acceptable is that there are some people who are part of this process 
who look at Justin Trudeau uh, seeking to ban all firearms uh, altogether, and they, they're cheering it on, saying that's something we need to do here. If you want to actually uh, infringe upon the Second Amendment, which is something that you know it, we're going, we would have quite a debate and a battle on, and I would certainly be on the, the opposite side of, that's the debate that that has to happen if your position is that you should be restricting a classification of firearms commonly used by law-abiding citizens as DC versus Heller said in analyzing the second amendment so there is uh some concern some caution uh, because the people who are actually in power right now, from President Biden to Senator Schumer, Senate Democrats, and Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats, is that it doesn't seem like they are trying to find common ground and then uh, and yeah, be okay with that. They're looking to go way too far to the point that would infringe upon the Second Amendment. I know one thing I would say is pretty clear. Senator Murphy's gone out of his way to stay out of it. I, I think he's even said, I'm not going to get what I want, but we are making progress. So I'm very curious. Anytime someone uh, who is very partisan doesn't act partisan, I think something actually could get done. This is happening. When, as I just mentioned to our audience, uh, this is breaking news that there was a gunman picked up in his 20s from Los Angeles with a gun and a knife with an intent to go after and or uh, Justice Kavanaugh and his family. Senator Coons was just informed on this on Capitol Hill, and he says he is a co-author of a bill to provide protection uh, for the Supreme Court justices and families. He says he hadn't heard about the arrest, uh, but calls out the House to quickly to act quickly. Would you support this money in order to provide security for Supreme Court justices? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I'll tell you that we have a huge issue, as you know all too well, where average everyday people are fearing for their safety and they don't get extra pr- uh, protection. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they're not even getting basic protection in many parts of our country. Uh, I do believe that when you have, especially now where you have this added threat to the Supreme Court justices, you have to do whatever you need to to protect them and their families. That's uh, with Without a doubt, something I'd be supportive of. Uh, I would also encourage any of these uh, members of Congress. You mentioned Senator Coons. Yeah. Any of these people who want to do something about it and are bothered by this new story, have, have, did you speak out against the White House encouraging it? People in your own party Absolutely. who are encouraging it because you know just p- proposing this bill doesn't let right. you off the hook of the leadership that's demanded right now, cleaning up the own mess in your own party. I don't want to be one of the people that have to leave New York. That's why I believe you're the best hope Republicans have had since George Pataki to actually get the governor's mansion back. And here's why. It's because not that I think the state is suddenly going to go uh, blue, uh, red, but because what I saw with Jessup Bodine happen, he got recalled two and a half years into his stay because San Francisco, still run by liberals that contains nothing but liberals, can't live a normal life. They're the, they're the founders of the smash and grab. People are being killed on a daily basis, assaulted. Nobody's going to jail. And, Amer- and the people of San Francisco acted. They also put a former Republican who went Democrat in name only, in my opinion, who's talking about being tough on crime. He wants won a, uh, a run, now is in a runoff election, be the next mayor of Los Angeles. And I think they're about to uh, actually overturn this DA Gascon and have him ousted too. Do you think Alvin Bragg will be next? Because he doesn't want to prosecute criminals either. 
What would you do about it? I want you to hear what Mayor Eric Adams said yesterday. Cut 12. And you know what's interesting? You do a profile, the picture that's emerging after the shooting, after the arrest, after being let go, you know what they do? They go do another shooting. People no longer believe that you can't do a shooting in the city. No one takes criminal justice seriously anymore. These bad guys no longer take them seriously. They believe our criminal justice system is a laughing stock of our entire country. We have to get serious about this because innocent people are dying. That's a Democrat. Number one, he hasn't really done anything. The numbers haven't budged, but at least he's speaking out about it. Where do you stand, Lee Zeldin? Alvin Bragg should be fired day one. Uh, he should be fired right now. The New you York can't governor, fire him, right? He was elected. The New York governor has the constitutional authority to fire a district attorney who refuses to enforce the law. It was one of the things that they got right in creating the New York State Constitution. And I, I would say that if that was in there for any particular reason, Alvin Bragg has nominated himself as the, the poster child of why the governor would have an authority like that. If, if DA in Alvin Bragg's mind stands for defense attorney, not district attorney, then he should get fired. Now, Kathy Hochul says we should cut him some slack. He just got there. He's doing his job. Uh, he's refusing to enforce the law. He's not honoring his oath. If you want to change the law, go to the state capitol and advocate for a changing of the law. But in the meantime, you have to do your darn job. So uh, day one, I get sworn in. On the first day that I'm in office, I will fire Alvin Bragg. All right. Lastly, people point to Suffolk County as an example of how the red flag law can work. You represent a Suffolk County district. And they write today's New York Times, colleagues examining of the Suffolk County cases found that red flag orders led to the removal of 160 guns. More than five were military style. The youngest subject, 14, the oldest, 88. The heavier use of red flag orders in Suffolk County does not appear to have produced significant changes in gun death rates compared with the rest of the state. But Hart, the former police commissioner, said the county had been uh, has seen several positive effects, including parents having to grunt their children, uh, children's psychological problems. What should the audience know about Suffolk County and the red flag laws? Do they, in fact, work? So uh, we have to understand, as you know well, in Suffolk County, law enforcement and the judges are, are different. New York State's red flag law does have some flaws that need to get addressed. One is that if you uh, you should not have your firearms taken away without having uh, the notice of a hearing to be allowed to be there, to be represented, to be able to state your case as to why you believe that your firearms shouldn't be taken away. That's one, and that needs to change. The second is if they do take away your firearms, the burden is now on you, the gun owner, to appeal, and you have to prove by clear and convincing evidence that you deserve to get your firearms back. And then three is that if your next-door neighbor makes a, uh, you know, wants to call up law enforcement because you're having some fight and they know, you know that you're, the neighbor has firearms, you can make a claim. And let's say it's a fake accusation in New York law, there's no repercussions uh, for making that fake charge. So you have to make some changes. When you look at Suffolk County, there's great law enforcement. You have great people. You have, uh, you have some really solid judges. 
it's not all perfect on all three of those, but Suffolk is a place that, you know, I've, it's where I grew up, it's where I live now, it's where I'm raising my family. I love Suffolk. When you look at the red flag laws, it's really important uh, that you are, are ensuring that you're not infringing on the rights of law-abiding citizens while making sure that somebody like the Buffalo shooter doesn't have access to any firearm. The guy threatened to shoot up a school. That's a felony. There, that when you have those levels of uh, indicators out there, they are nominating themselves to not have any weapon whatsoever to carry out any type of an offense. Uh, lastly, I would say there should be some weight put on uh, asking mental health professionals. You're a judge. You're an attorney. You get into that position, but you're not a mental health expert. There's nothing wrong with getting an expert on board and making that key decision gotcha. because you are taking away someone's uh, firearms. Best, best of luck in the primary, Lee Zeldin. Congressman Lee Zeldin, thank you. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff. You should get over that quickly. The world world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. Those were the good old days. Remember? Yeah, people do really good stuff, have flaws, and not playing the perfect game. The whole cancel culture, woke thing. I believe that this uh, that horrific trial that was a train wreck that gave us all a break from reality when we watched these two stars sue each other, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, who Amber Heard said, this guy's yeah, his abuser. He's unable to prove it. Uh, clearly, she did not look authentic, and the jury didn't believe her. And it turns out that, to me, is the beginning of the end of woke. And the beginning of uh, believe her regardless. And I hate it because a lot of people need to be believed. But when people like Amber Heard step up, I think it hurts everybody. And I think another person deserves great credit for that more than anybody else. Perhaps it's Bill Moore. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll continue to take your calls at one 408 7669 And then we're going to see if you indeed want to know more. We are uh, uh, following this story about the would-be gunman who also had a knife, was in the neighborhood of Justice Kavanaugh with an intent to get him and or his family. We're following this story uh, and other breaking stories on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. We need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations to our nation, states, communities, schools, and homes. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. Uh, 
Uh, that's uh, one of the best lines Matthew McConaughey had. Because he is a responsible gun owner. He does have credibility. He actually knows Uvalde, grew up there, and then he has his mom taught down the street. And he showed up there at the event, and he came to Washington. He knows the issues. He's a smart guy. He resonates with people beyond Hollywood who likes his movies. So I do think that I know people listening right now to the show want to marginalize people that come from Hollywood because they're so sanctimonious elite and they have lives uh, that are even totally divorced from reality. And they are unfailingly, like the late night hosts, all way left. But I don't think Matthew McConaughey lives in that world. Also, I just want to also mention special thank you uh, to where I'm now in Texas, where with Matthew McConaughey lives and lived uh, at KLIF and WBAP. They opened up their studios for me today. I had a speech last night. And I did not want to miss the radio show, and they were nice enough to open up their doors, and I appreciate that. So Matthew McConaughey came out, but now, as people have brought up, now it's the nitty-gritty. When it comes to red flag laws, how do you implement it? One thing he brought up that Lee Zeldin just told us on this in this hour, the congressman from uh, with the red flag law that they say is working in Suffolk County, New York, there's got to be consequences for wrongly accusing someone of acting in a way in which they don't are not worthy of a firearm, whether it's deranged, whether it's drinking, whether it's abuse, whether it's schizophrenia, untreated, whatever, acting illogically, irrationally, violently. If you accuse someone of that because you don't like them as a neighbor or as a spouse anymore, then you have to pay the price. So there's got to be some consequences from wrongly accused. But I think we all agree there's got to be some way, too, to drag in somebody's background. If you're a nut job at 17 and you need medical help, psychological tending to, if you're in a juvenile delinquent center because of your violent behavior, you turn 18 with a clean record, you walk into a gun store, then you walk up with your racist beliefs into a Buffalo mall and start shooting people because they're black, that's preventable if we find a way to address the juvenile problem. And I do think the better it's better done locally uh, in the state level. And I think a red state, which Florida is, who handles things by uh, by handling the age in which you buy an AR-15, knocking up to 21. I don't know if you heard of Rick Scott, but he's not anything if he's he's nothing if he's not conservative. He was governor of a state when that happened, and he wasn't strong on by a, a liberal legislature. It was after Parkland. We understand it. So that's what Matthew McConaughey said. But the pushback was from Dan Bongino. And and I, I could play, you know, between the Brett interview, who did a fantastic job, as expected, and his press conference, which was good to see someone so talented to communicate behind that podium. Dan Bongino said this, cut seven. The guy is an actor. I spent 10 years plus of my life, multi, more than that, you know, studying this issue. I was a police officer on the street, a federal agent. Got a little bit of experience here. And the things he said, some of the things he said are, are just kind of hyperbolic and background. We already have background checks. Does, does he not know that? I mean, you're at the White House podium. Uh, I'm sorry, but you have, a, you, have a, you have a business to be accurate. And, you know, red flag laws, he gave kind of, I'm not for red. We already have red flag laws. You know what they're called? They're called parents. Uh, I, really, you want a red flag and, uh, that my kid is in trouble? Then don't let your kid go buy a gun. You think the law is going to save you from an 18-year-old who wants to go and murder children? Yeah. I can't wait for parents to do their job. I mean, what are the numbers? They're stunningly below 50% among the people in, from nuclear homes, nuclear family homes with two parents. Oftentimes it means one parent is working, and I could paint all these scenarios. I think depending on parents is not something we can do right now. 
I'd like to be that 20-year plan, sure. But I'm talking about a two-day plan. I'm talking about a today plan. So Dan Bongino's a genius. There's nobody who has more practical solutions. But in this respect, waiting on parents, I think we're all going to be uh, waiting 20 years with a program in place for parents to learn to be responsible to raising their kids, many of which want no part of them. I want to segue into the other big area. And that is what's happening yesterday with Chesa Bodine. We found a DA didn't want to do his job, prosecute crime. We watched the city fall apart and then recalled this DA, put in place by George Soros for the longest time. I felt helpless as the, uh, the streets were handed over to criminals and gangs. And as they started infiltrating into the higher class communities, I know people saying that's a gang problem, that's an inner city problem. Now it became your problem. Whether you like it or not, that's the truth. And when a liberal city steps up and tells a DA to hit the streets... I think America is at a turning point. I'm hopeful. Jessica Milan Patterson was on Fox News at night with Shannon last night. She's a chairperson of, a, of, of something that's way too small, and that's the California GOP. Cut 10. It's just so funny to think that in San Francisco, there's this vast right-wing conspiracy happening when we really haven't had that type of influence there. It is absolutely a grassroots movement of all political persuasions where California's Democrats in San Francisco have even said, these regressive and soft on crime policies have been hurting us and we're sick of it and we're tired of it and we want some change. And what are you going to say to that? George Gascon, you are next. Alvin Bragg, they're coming for you. Speaking of you, here's John you talking about what is it like. He teaches at Berkeley. He's a conservative. And he feels helpless as he watched Democrats destroy this state. And get ready for what California is going to give something else to us. And that is rolling blackouts. No joke. Cut 14. Who are these people who are uh, you know, overwhelmingly pushing him out, who are conservative right-wing conspirators? He's being rejected by a liberal city. There's still a progressive mayor, a progressive city council. There are no Republicans in any citywide office. That's actually much like the whole state of California. And so you would see that same set of circumstances where there are no Republicans in office, but you're seeing places like New York City, Los Angeles, where people who are moderates, who just want to have safe homes and safe neighborhoods and send their kids back to school, are sick and tired of these progressive experiments. Yeah, uh, and that's what we're witnessing, and he's there. Might be able to save California. You know, Governor Newsom always says California is always first. We lead the way, and the rest of the world will follow. The rest of the country will follow. Let's hope. Chesa Bodine, you hit the road. He says it was because the right wing financed the recall movement. Nice try. Uh, The guy that financed it, as liberal as the day is long, he was on with Fox and Friends today. In fact, Eric, do we have his cut? Uh, the cut from the man who started the recall movement, who was on Fox and Friends first today. The tourism industry here in San Francisco is a major, uh, you know, tax uh, base. How how mm-hmm. the the government can function by the hotel tax and the spending by tourists, uh, businesses, and so it's been decimated, and it still hasn't come back. There's. Uh, Years away is what they're projecting before it could potentially come back. Uh, and now with uh, Bodine out, I don't—I shouldn't even call him D.A. Bodine anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with Bodine out, uh, we look forward to the mayor appointing an actual prosecutor who's going to hold criminals accountable. And lastly, 
I believe we're living in a in Matthew McConaughey, if he is correct, and America's mostly in the center. One example of that is Harold Ford. The other one is Henry Cuellar. He's surviving, I think, even though there's a recall, his primary in what is turning into a Republican area on the border of in Texas. Henry Cuellar is a moderate, cares about our country before party, and they are trying to destroy him on the Democratic side. Here's what he said about what happened in San Francisco. I mean, even in San Francisco, a very liberal place, they even sent a strong message. They want law and order. In my District 28, certainly they did not believe my opponent's position on defund the police. They did not support her position on getting rid of ICE or Border Patrol. And they certainly didn't agree on open borders. And that was a strong message. If you look at the votes uh, along the counties on the southern border, Uh, I won by 80-plus percent of the vote because people understood that law and order, law and order is key to any uh, function that government provides. I I can't believe I'm rolling that soundbite. If you told me five years ago I got this Henry Cuellar soundbite and it's about law and order, they'd go, yeah, uh, let's not put it in the show. Everybody knows we need law and order, but we don't. We've watched our streets being run over. I see it in New York City. As I mentioned before, and people know this, I take the train on the way home, and when I'm in a rush, I hop on the subway, and it doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same, and people are just choosing not to ride. And you know that because when you hop in a car now, as bad as New York traffic is, if I hop in a car at 48th and 6th in Manhattan and want to drive to Long Island— Without traffic, it's 40 minutes. How do I know? Because at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm coming to work, that's how long it takes. On the way home, three hours. Part of the reason is because nobody takes mass transportation anymore because it's not safe. And the reason why Eric Adams won a Democratic primary is because he had a police background and promises law and order. Stuff that we used to take for granted. We used to talk about taxes and energy. And quality of life, but the quality of life has everything to do with law and order. Lastly, just to complete the big three, we're talking about the economy. Wherever you go, people are talking about inflation, working class especially. People are talking about gas prices. We're getting close to $10 gas. When Janet Yellen came to Capitol Hill, uh, she was confronted by Steve Daines. And Steve Daines wanted to know some answers. Why are you acting so surprised that the price of gas is so high and inflation is so high. Here's a little of that confrontation, cut 19. My question is, Secretary, do you agree with the San Francisco Fed that the nearly $2 trillion March spending package was a significant causal factor in the high, increasingly broad-based and accelerating inflation that we observed this past year? Senator, we're seeing high inflation in almost all developed countries around the world, and they have very different fiscal policies. So it can't be the case that the bulk of the inflation that we're experiencing reflects the impact of the ARP. Okay. If you if Joe Biden had his way, we would have got Build Back Better, which would have been another one point five trillion on top of the one point four or one point nine trillion. I forgot exactly. It's all becoming a blur that he passed when in the winter of 2021. And now when Larry Summers came out and said, whoa, 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 you can't be spending like this much. There's too much money in the system already. Steve Dane said the same thing. Janet Yellen said, don't worry about it. 
She later apologized for saying that she thought inflation was transitory. Senator Daines is trying to say, if you thought about it, if you listened to some dissenting views, you wouldn't have had to apologize. Or is she taking the hit for Joe Biden, who forced it down her throat? Brian Kilmeade Show. Best is three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Here we go, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, thanks to everyone here at this uh, beautiful station in Dallas, Texas, uh, for uh, for the time and the energy and all the great accommodations. As I don't want to miss the show, but I had a speaking uh, a speaking uh, assignment that was three years delayed. It was on Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers in Texas. I did not want to let this organization down. It was supposed to be on a weekend. Uh, we were finally able to work it out three years later. So I talked about Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and able to talk about all the other history books from George Washington's Secret Six to Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, and the President Freedom Fighter. And with that, I did not want to miss the radio show, and, and here in Dallas, they were able to open up their doors. So let's find out, in this time of very serious stuff and strife, and with January 6th uh, hearings looming, if there's more to know. More to know. Target will slash the prices of unwanted items ahead of the clearance rack as it tries to get rid of $15.1 billion in piled-up inventory. Uh, shares have slid 4% on this note. Some of the things they're trying to get rid of, I imagine, I don't want. But uh, essentially, the amount serves much as 50% more than just a year ago. That's what they have left in terms of inventory. Blockbuster's deals seen in the store side include a four-piece outdoor furniture set, usually priced at 409 to 267 uh, marked out of nearly 35%, and a 40-inch HD television uh, for 200 bucks, marked down from 250 Good luck with that. Uh, go shopping. Next. Not a surprise, especially if it's the way Tiger played last time out. He has pulled out of next week's U.S. Open because his body needs more time to rest. I'll tell you, I was optimistic after the Masters, not after the PGA. Woods entered the competition of Masters on April 14th after losing his, almost losing his right leg in a crash, uh, finished 47th. We'll talk about that. Uh, he tweeted something out. Meanwhile, Paramount was hit with a copyright lawsuit by the family of uh, the family of the author behind the original use, the original story of Top Gun. The lawsuit filed by Shosh and Lavoy Yunoy on Monday in California, uh, according to the Rap, are the heirs to the Yunoy uh, uh, estate and the author of the 1983 article about Top Guns. The storyline Top Gun was based on that article. Uh, evidently, they were not paid. Top Gun Maverick premiered on March 27th after suffering two years of delays due to the coronavirus. It's made $160 million in four days, uh, and Top Gun has stayed atop for the second straight weekend, bringing $86 million. The case rises out of Paramount's conscious failure to reacquire the requisite film and ancillary rights. Let's see if they'll get paid. Next, Massapequa's own Jerry Seinfeld has settled a pair of lawsuits stemming from a $1.54 million sale of one of his classic Porsches. We've all had this problem. The 1958 Porsche uh, Speedster was one of 17 cars the comedian auctioned off uh, in Florida for a total of $22 million. Three years after the sale in 2019, the buyer of the Porsche uh, filed a lawsuit alleging that the vehicle wasn't an authentic factory built and had been converted to resemble the model that was advertised. 
I can really relate to this story. Seinfeld also filed his own third-party com- uh, complaint against the dealer he purchased the vehicle from. Both lawsuits have not been settled. So I guess the guy was right, and I guess Seinfeld was right. I guess the dealer was wrong. Next. This is unbelievable. A cancer cure. A small cancer immunotherapy drug trial in patients with rectal cancer has 100% result. 100% of the patients who took this experimental drug wanted to complete remission. Quote, I believe this is the first time this has happened in the history of cancer, according to the paper co-author Luis Diaz Jr. of Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, Pretty great news. Next. NASA to launch the priority mission exploring mysterious domes on the moon's surface. Why haven't I been told about this? The space agency announced a rover will visit the hmm, Grutoisen domes, a geological feature that has baffled scientists. I did not know we had baffled scientists with anything on the moon. The domes are suspected to have been formed by a sticky magma, rich silica, similar to the composition in granite. For more on this... Here's Eric. Eric, you know everything space-related. Did I pronounce one of those words right? I don't think you did, but I couldn't have either. Do you have any uh, baffling uh, questions about the moon? Hmm. No, well, there was that thing. They found a really shiny part on it at some point and couldn't explain it, so maybe they'll find out what that was. Right. Go for the shiny part. Elon Musk, if you're listening, find out what the shiny stuff is about. Brian Kilmeade, thanks so much for listening. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.